Welcome to Help from Future Self. What's happening, Archons? It's another episode of Help from Future Self, a conversational Keyforge podcast by and for Keyforge friends, hosted here in Vancouver, British Columbia, going out all across the world. My name is Scuzzy Gruen, also known as Alex, and I am joined, as always, by my constant Keyforge companion. It's my coach, Boulevard Paper Fight. What's happening, Blake? Hey, man. How's it going? I am so amped right now for the release of Mass Mutation. We were just talking about it before we started recording. And one of the things about it is that you always settled into a groove with the set. You know, Coda is super exciting the first time you start playing Keyforge. And then you settle into the groove of Coda. And then Age of Ascension comes out and it's super exciting. And then you settle into the groove. And I feel like I'm in that groove right now with Worlds Collide. And the idea of Mass Mutation coming and just shaking up the whole game, shaking up the whole meta, it, it's got me really excited for Keyforge. Yeah, me too, man. I, I, I realize when I'm in the groove when I have zero desire to even think about getting a deck at all. Like I have no desire to purchase any more decks, nothing like that. I, I do like cracking packs. And uh, when that feeling is gone, I know that it's time for the next set to come out. Yeah, absolutely. Also, you know, a, a lot of good news going around lately uh, with regards to the return of uh, OP. Essentially, the idea being that Chainbound can be a thing again. They're not going to be sending out prize support, but basically you will be able to have Chainbound events, be they online or in person at a store. Wanted to take a quick moment here to encourage you, please, to remain safe during the COVID era. Um, just because your local store is holding events if they aren't encouraging and enforcing uh, social distancing, if they aren't encouraging and forcing people to wear masks, if they aren't cleaning, if they aren't providing with the proper safety procedures for you, you don't need to go there to play. Um, I feel very strongly about that. Um, we're still in the thick of it right now. It's quite possible that things might get worse before they get better. And I just would would break my heart to know that somebody went out to play Keyforge and that ended up having an impact on their health and the health of their family. So please, 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 even though we can now do Chain Pound again, make sure that if you're going to do it, that it's in a safe environment with folks who respect you and respect your health and safety. Indeed. Yeah, that's a good one. So being that both Blake and I are incredibly excited about Mass Mutation, we've been going over the set, we've been reading cards, we've been just thinking about all the different ways that those cards might interact, we're bringing back one of our classic, classic games. This is one that we used to play every other episode or so, but we're going to dedicate a whole episode to it with cards that are in Mass Mutation, mostly new cards, a couple of oldies that are returning for the set. The game is called Would You Rather? Very simple premise. Each one of us posits a question to the other, and which is, all things being equal, if you could have a deck with this card or a deck with this card, which one would you prefer to have? I'm so excited to play this game. I always love these games. They're fun to think through. Why don't we get things started? Blake, start me off with your first Would You Rather. All right. So I'm going to kick off with uh, two Sanctum cards here. And my Would You Rather, the first card is Master of the Grey. So it's a four-power creature with one armor, and it has a passive ability that reads, your opponent cannot resolve bonus icons on cards they play. Nasty. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a good one. And now on the other side of it is Purifier of Souls. And it's a five-power creature with two armor, and it says, destroyed effects cannot trigger. Now, Alex, oh. would you rather have Master of the Grey or Purifier of Souls? 
Now let me let me lay some some stuff on the line here of why I chose these two cards. All I right. chose them because they both have cannot keywords and passive abilities, but they both I think create the proposition of it really depends on the deck you're playing. So now it comes down to based on what exists in this set, which one do you hold in higher regard of not wanting to have against you? That is a very tough question. Um, looking at the cards objectively from their non-power standpoint, um, Purifier of Souls is a little bit tougher. He's five power, two armor, whereas Master of the Grey is four power, one armor. So you get rid of Master of the Grey a little bit easier. Those are both really good powers in this set. Obviously, we know that through the enhanced mechanic, we're going to see way more bonus icons than we have ever seen in the history of Keyforge, plus brand new bonus icons. We don't even know what impact a lot of those bonus icons are going to have on the meta of the game. But I think in this case, I'm going to go with the Purifier of Souls, specifically because there are so many good destroyed effects in this set. Um, there's like Destroy Steal 3. There's Destroy uh, destroy Opposing Creatures or Move uh, Amber Around from Other uh, Opposing Creatures. There's a lot of really good destroyed effects, and I think we're going to end up seeing a lot of decks that use destroyed effects in specific ways um, and very tricksy combo-y ways. So I, I think purely for, uh, you know, preventing that kind of stuff from going down, I might have to go with the Purifier of Souls on this one. How about yourself? What was your thought? So for me, I think that the difference between these two is one only affects your opponent. The Purifier of Souls oh. is actually, it's a global one. So it's going to affect you too. So oh. your destroyed effect won't work either. So that's that's one thing about it. But I feel like especially I feel like there's certain matchups that the Purifier of Soul, like I think we're gonna see like destroyed decks, you know, that have destroyed like mm -hmm. heavy destroyed triggers and that they almost wanna kill themselves and combo off in a really cool way. So I think that is um, a really good one. And I think there's going to be matchups that that card is next level. But based on what I've seen with the, the bonus icons, I think that you can almost... You know what? I'm going to go with you. I'm sticking with you. Purifier of Souls, I think. I think the destroyed effects are going to be more detrimental. I think the bonus icons are cool and give you an advantage. And some decks are going to be really OP. But I think more times than not, the Purifier of Souls is going to help you win games. I would agree with you on that statement. Very interested to see this in the wild, and I'm super interested to see what kind of impact Master of the Grey has on decks that have such a preponderance of bonus icons. Let me hit you with my first one here, Blake. All right. All right, so we're going to start things off with a big old creature out of House Saurian. This one's called Charibdis. I'll spell that out for you. C-H-R-A-R-Y-B-D-I-S. He's a seven-power creature. His power is each enemy creature gains before fight, lose one so your opponent gets that if charabdis is on the board meaning mm. that he cannot fight with a creature without losing an amber would you rather have that or would you rather have heading on over to star alliance hapless cadet hapless cadet has taunt he's a three power creature destroyed your opponent loses three who that's a tough one um I kind of like the Dino one better. Charabdis is going to be the one I go with. And I'll tell you why. I think the seven power is a lot harder to deal with. Mm -hmm. And I like the fact that it's creating a proposition. So your opponent now has to choose when to fight very carefully. And especially if you have, like, I could see this if you were paired with those great Star Alliance things. It's like you're creating mm -hmm. this, like, every single decision being made for a fight is now 
do I want to lose this ember? Am I going to be off check now as a result of fighting? It's it's really interesting. So I just like the the thought process and the propositions that are given to you when you have Charbdis as opposed to the other one. And uh, yeah, I, I think the three power is going to be easy and there can be times when you do that and the you won't get it. Like maybe they just forge a key and then they kill your creature. So you get around that destroy trigger mm-hmm. where this is always something that's going to have an effect and seven power is nothing to scoff at. Yeah, yeah. I would agree with you. I go with Charabdis on this one for the reasons that you specified, just because it's going to be so much harder to remove. I mean, both cards, the way that you deal with them is that you either bite the bullet and lose some amber, or you wait until you have no amber to lose, or all your amber is captured or placed elsewhere before dealing with them. I think there's a lot to be said for Hapless Cadet having taunt in Star Alliance, where you can Mm -hmm. put down Hapless Cadet taunting, put down a dope Star Alliance creature with a great power next to them and make it a must kill so that you can deal with that. But Charabdis's power and creating that scenario where just no fights can happen without the cost is pretty remarkable. And I got to say that uh, I feel like this is going to be a huge pain to see across the table from you in pretty much every scenario. So I- I'm with you on Charabdis. Mm-hmm, yeah. All right. So next one for me is a couple actions coming from Sorian. The two cards are Humble and uh, Patronage. So Humble reads, uh, it's an action, gives you an Ember Pit for playing it, and has a play that says, Exhaust a creature. If you do, move three Ember from that creature to the common supply. And then it has the flavor text of, Darn you, darn you all to die. And then um, Patronage, you do not get an Ember for playing it, but it has a playability that says, Move half the Ember from a creature to your pool, rounding up. Move the remaining ember from that creature to your opponent's pool. So, Alex, would you rather have patronage or humble? I got to go humble on this one. Two reasons. One mechanically and one from uh, the flavor perspective. Um, I'll give you the flavor reason first. It's a reference to my beloved Planet of the Apes. Like a big statue, somebody saying, darn you, darn you all to diss. I love it. Love it to death. I, I, it's such a cute, uh, clever little reference. From a mechanical standpoint, I like getting a pip of amber and exhaust a creature. Um, it can be any creature. It can be your opponent's creature. So even if your opponent has no amber on any of their creatures and you have no amber captured, you're getting an amber and exhausting a creature. You might also be getting three of your amber back off of an opponent's creature. The thing about patronage is that you're splitting up the spoils. And I I don't know, man. It just seems like pretty cut and dry to me on this one, but I'd be interested to hear your thoughts. So the reason why I kind of like patronage and the reason why I could see this being, like, I agree with you about the humble. Like, everything you said is, is completely true. I think there are more intricate plays that exist within the ability to do patronage. Mm-hmm. For example, you can do things like city-state interest to get the stuff back. Um, I think there's more plays that you can pull off mm-hmm. with it. So if you're if your opponent, like let's see how many creatures you have. Like I could see now we're getting into obviously multi-card things, which become more problematic. But for example, ancient power, city-state interest, things like that. If they have you get all your things warded, something like that. Uh, I think there's really interesting plays that exist within that, especially if you know your opponent doesn't go into check. So maybe another play you can do is bait. Like, let's say they just forge, for example, and then you're going to have something that does an effect that, you know, removes a ton of ember. 
you could do it so that half the ember goes to your pool, the other half obviously goes to your opponent, and they're not in check. And then you pass to them, and then it, they do something, or they can do something that puts them way in check, and that gives you the ability mm. to use, you know, those those cards that punish bursting. And I think that would be really neat is to have something like that. The other thing is maybe they were um, they were close to getting into check, and you do some sort of key increase. You know, you have you have ways to delay and 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 punish that. But um, so I like patronage because I think there's going to be some interesting combos that will arise as we play more with the set. That's going to make this card quite interesting. It's a rare, unfortunately, though, so we won't see it as often as uh, humble. But I think humble is uh, going to be a staple. Yeah, I mean, at uncommon, I think it's going to be one of those ones that you're going to love seeing it every time. Just because there's going to be situations where you're going to get so much value out of it, like for it's four amber if you pull it off at mm-hmm. its full power, right? And it can be off anybody, right? It could be like three amber that you captured, three amber that your opponent captured. Ooh, man, in multiples, baby. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Um, let's move on to my next one. Um, I'm going to use a classic card in this comparison because I think that these are interesting propositions, but we'll start off with the new one. In House Untamed, it's an action called Savage Clash. So it's a playability, no pip of amber, and it says destroy each creature except the most powerful enemy creature and the least powerful friendly creature. So a variation on the classic Champion's Challenge, mm-hmm. which is one of my favorite old school Brobnar cards, which is probably the reason why this one stuck out to me so much. Um, so basically your opponent gets to keep his most powerful creature. You get to keep your least powerful creature, which could be very advantageous depending on the style of deck that you're playing. Maybe you don't want to keep your more powerful creatures in this kind of scenario. Let's put that up against the OG board clear. You know it. You love it. It's back in this set. Gateway to disc. Destroy each creature. Gain three chains. What do you like better, Blake? Hmm. That's a tough one for me. Um, th- this is one of those ones where where it depends really feels <laughs> feels relevant because if mm-hmm. if you're going against they have a whole bunch of ember exalted, uh, then I could see, yeah, I don't know. I'm gonna go with the gateway to dis. I'm sticking with the classic. I want it all gone. I don't want the most powerful creature left. I feel like there's too many things. I'll take the chains. I want a classic gateway to dis. I think we're agreeing a lot on this episode. As much as I love Savage Clash, I love seeing a good, workable, usable board clear and untamed. I think they've needed one for the longest time. They've never really had a truly effective one. Um, You know, Save the Pack was a thing that was so conditional that it was oftentimes useless. The fact that it has no chains is really excellent. I think there's lots of opportunities for you to get a ton of value out of Savage Clash. The thing about Gateway to Dis more than anything else is that you could play gateway to the disc at the beginning of your turn and then drop a board full of disc creatures right after it. That has not changed. No Omega on this action. And that's one of the things that makes it one of the best board clears in the history of the game is that it's conditions, namely the three chains. That's not nothing, but there are so many things you can do if you start things off with the gateway to disc. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that's that's got to be my pick also. But I am very excited to have Savage Clash and Untamed because I feel like it's something that they've lacked and needed for a long time. Indeed, indeed. Okay, so on to my next one. All right. The next one I have is, again, a couple actions. And this time it's in Star Alliance. So the two cards are New Frontiers and Hold the Line. New Frontiers gives you a Pippa Ember for playing it, and it says... Choose a house, reveal the top three cards of your deck, archive each card of the chosen house, and discard the others. 
hold the line, you get a Pippa Ember for playing it, and it says, if there are more enemy creatures than friendly creatures, draw cards equal to the difference. So, Alex, which one would you rather have? Oh, that's a real good question. Um, and just so everyone knows, we didn't actually reveal these to each other ahead of time. We're kind of surprising each other on the fly. So that's why if you're wondering why we have some pauses and are humming and hawing, it's because this is a, a new proposition each time we pose the question. So one of the things that I think is worth pointing out about New Frontiers is the fact that, and this is a thing that frequently gets overlooked in card assessments, I find, um, its playability is since you choose a house, reveal the top three cards of your deck, archive each card of the chosen house, and discard the others. Um, the deck cycling from discarding is so huge. Mm -hmm. um, oftentimes, I think people really sort of underrate them from the, what if I pull three cards I want and I have to pick one? Well, you're cycling your deck faster, so you might mm -hmm. see them again. I think that that's pretty cool. Hold the line has the disadvantage that maybe you're never behind on board and it's only ever just going to be a pip of amber. But then again, maybe you're behind on board by five creatures and hold the line lets you draw five cards. That's huge. Yeah. They're both really good. I think I'm going to go with hold the line. The reason that I like hold the line is I think with that pip of amber and just that possibility to engineer things in such a way that you can get as much value out of it as you need to. Like maybe you do all of your fights in Star Alliance that take out some of your own creatures and then you hit hold the line to get a maximum amount of draw out of it. I, I like that. That's that's neat and interesting to me. I think I'm going to go with hold the line. What are your thoughts? I'm going to go with New Frontiers, actually. Reason mm. being is I think the consistency's sake. Like you said, um, I like the fact that it's an archive mechanic so that things are going to be saved and you know it's going to be of a house so if you're building up a play in a house you can actually just call that house and if it's not that you're either a getting them in your archive or b getting anything else out which means you're going to have a higher chance of getting some more of those cards in the future so i just like that aspect to it i think it's going to be um very powerful in terms of like you said for the deck cycling factor but i like the consistency of it and that's why i'm choosing new frontiers I think they're both awesome cards, and I think yeah. they both present a lot of value for Star Alliance decks, especially. Yeah, hold the line is like a it's like red alert, which is kind of cool that you're getting they're they're playing on that that idea as if you're you're at a disadvantage. It's like a way to get back into the the game in a way, which I, I think is a really cool mechanic to have. Like it's gonna be dead sometimes, but at least you get a Pippa Ember. And um, if it does go off, I think it could be very, very powerful at times. Like it's just one of those things like you're behind on board. You may you may have a heavy creature deck and just like you haven't drawn them and you just pull a ton and then you're going to get right back in the game. So I think it's a nice little Hail Mary too. But I just think New Frontiers is going to create situations that are going to be very beneficial to game plans. Good thinking, good thinking. All right, let me hit you up with a couple of creatures here. Um in House Logos, we've got a familiar face, but a new card. It's Bot Bookton. If you haven't seen the art for this card, we're taking the classic Coda era uh, Logos creature, Doc Bookton, and combining her with Helper Bot, who is actually the card, appears in her card art in the original uh, card, which I think is really cute. Uh, Bot Bookton is a four-power creature with the power Reap, play the top card of your deck. So it is essentially Wild Wormhole on a stick. Mm. So... Would you rather have Bot Bookton or would you rather have Techno Thief in House Shadows, a three power creature? And Techno Thief's power is it's elusive and reap, discard a card from your hand if you do draw a card. So not super comparable, 
but both involve getting that card off the top of your deck during a turn. Where do you see the value on this one, Blake? I think I'm going to go with Techno Thief. I like the cycle because that's a two-card potential. Because mm-hmm. you're getting one out of your hand and you're drawing one. And if it happens to be in-house, then you're playing it, which means you're drawing further. So you can go something not in-house and then keep going. Uh, and as much as Bot Bookton is cool, I don't like the your less in control of what's happening, especially of board wipes or things like that. You know, So I like Techno Thief a lot. You know what, Blake? This is where we differ. This is where my my skills as a game player are second to my love for chaos and wacky stuff happening. I go with Bot Bookton because I've always loved Wild Wormhole. I like chaos. I like unexpected things happening. I know that's going to lose me games or at the very least put me behind in some games. But I can never resist that kind of just let's see what happens. It's part of Keyforge for me, and that's the reason why I would select it. I think that Techno Thief is a much better card in terms of deck cycling for exact reasons that you said. Gives you that possible two two card cycle uh, ability. But bot booked in man, I just there's something about that reap play the top card of your deck. Who knows what it might be? That's very appealing to me, and I I can't say. You know, that it's always going to be the best move, but it's always going to be an interesting move. Fair enough. What do you got next for me? I got a couple of creatures from Star Alliance this time. And uh, these two creatures are J-O-N Cargo and Lieutenant Commander Trigon. So John Cargo is a one power creature that has a reap ability. Discard the top card of your deck and reveal your hand. Archive each card that shares a house with the discarded card. Okay? Cool. Now, Lieutenant Commander Trigon says, Reap, discard the top card of your deck, resolve that card's bonus icon as if you had played it. Which one would you rather have? Huh. I'm going to go with John Cargo on this one. For one thing, I like a robot. I like a nice robot card. No offense to Lieutenant uh, uh, Commander Trigon, who looks very cool. I don't think he's an alien species that we've seen before. Oh, no, he's a mutant per his traits. That's interesting. I like the idea of just being able to off-turn, get a hold of bonus icons, but that's going to be dead a lot of the time. You're just going to discard the top card of your deck, and maybe that ends up being a real good thing. In as much as John Cargo has the potential to do something similar... All you're really doing is discarding the top card of your deck and then potentially getting to cycle your deck a lot more and build up your archive. And I think that there's a lot more potential in that for me than maybe getting an extra bonus icon, depending on the makeup of your deck. Um, They're both good. They're both interesting. But John Cargo is the way I go. What about yourself? I'm with you. You know, I like John Cargo is I feel like it's a card that can get you out of if you start getting these two, two, two draws. I think mm. I feel like it's something that could really help you break that cycle. And and I think it's going to be very, very handy, especially early game. Potentially, you can just drop this down and then you're like, man, I don't really like my draw. And right let's let's save up for later or even um, go about it just that way, just to archive stuff and save up for a big turn. Like you're going to be giving away information, too. So you got to keep in mind, like if mm. you maybe have your cards in your hand, aren't really like. You know, they're, you're going to get punished for playing games. Just knowing they exist type of thing is fine. I, th- I could see some really cool um, potential gameplay and opportunities existing with John Cargo. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with you on that. Um, one of the things I'd like to point out here is that going through all of the cards in Mass Mutation, looking for sort of cards that we have kind of for 
uh, would you rathers, I was really looking for cards that had a lot of comparability. And I think what you and I both discovered, and we discussed this before we started recording, is that there's not a huge number of one-to-one comparisons. Like, there's similar abilities, and they can sort of broadly be categorized together. Like, oh, these both allow deck cycling, or these both are key control, or so on and so forth. But uh, so much variety between the cards in the set, which I think is really cool. No, totally. Um, this, however, I think is an example of where you're really looking at two cards that have a very similar effect. One of them is a classic. One of them is a new one. Let's go with the classic first from way back in the Coda era. Never been reprinted until now. Fertility Chant. Fertility Chant, if you are unfamiliar, one of my OG favorites, you get four amber for playing it. That's two-thirds of a key. Here's the downside. When you play it, your opponent gains two amber. So you could literally put your opponent onto a key if you play this at the wrong time. You could give your opponent the game if you play this at the wrong time, if you're not paying attention or otherwise. Let's put that against Ritual of Tognath in Dis from the brand new set. Three amber for playing Ritual of Tognath. So it's a virtuous works, but with a condition, play effect, destroy two friendly creatures. Blake, which would you rather have? I mean, I feel this is no contest. It's a ritual of Tognath. Reason being is because there's so many amazing disc creatures with destroyed abilities that you're going to be able mm-hmm. to pull off. So there's a chance that you could be doing like such crazy things, like getting three ember and then triggering a whole bunch of, I think there's some steel mechanics for being destroyed and whatnot. So I just see that becoming a lot more potent than that. And plus you're not giving your opponent anything. At worst, you're, um, you're getting two two creatures less the only downside i see is if you do not have two creatures on the board uh it could be a dead card in your hand for a little bit that's the one big downside i think mm-hmm. i go with you on ritual of tognath i think the other thing to keep in mind is the fact that ritual of tognath is in dis and if you were to play say for example oh i don't know an infernus immediately following a ritual of tognath and purge it so you get three amber your opponent loses three amber sick absolutely disgusting yeah that is huge yeah so i I think ritual of tognath and i want to see that combo in action a six amber swing is huge um and we've seen that be like a a major factor in a lot of games so ritual of tognath as much as i love og fertility chant i think tognath is the one that's gonna that's gonna provide us with a ton of value especially with infernus still existing in this set Mm -hmm. what's your next one so my last one that i have is uh coming from star alliance and there's some actions. And these two are, sorry, one is from Shadows and one is from Star Alliance. First one is Lay of the Land, a classic card. Love it. And it says, play, you get a Pippa Ember, look at the top three cards of your deck and put them back in any order, draw a card. Okay. Now, on the flip side, it's called Vandalize. And you get a Pippa Ember for playing it, in sh- and it's a Shadows card. And it says, look at the top three cards of your opponent's deck discard one and put the others back in any order so almost the flip of it which i think is super cool that they created this and the fact that it's in shadows i think it makes so much sense so would you rather have vandalize or lay of the land alex (sighs) tough one tough one tough one this is the one that like i feel like the last two we've done are the ones that have the most common you know comparisons that, that we've done today yeah, and so good thing I put my disclaimer about, oh, the variety in the set. Not so many one-to-one comparisons right before we discuss these. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that's a really tough question, actually. I think I'm going to go with Vandalize. I love 
over my opponent's plans, for lack of a better term. As much as Lay of the Land is awesome and it is such a staple in Star Alliance decks because being able to sort of like tutor on just even that limited basis almost always has value. It can provide value in turn and then right into your next turn. There's something about just like, I'm going to look at your next three cards and then I'm going to also make sure that possibly you're not going to get access to these two unless you go deep into your hand on your next one. Yeah, Vandalize, I think, is just going to be a jerk card to play against someone. And I don't know, maybe I'm a bad person for loving that, but I think I love it. So Vandalize is the way I'm going to go on it. Yeah, I'm with you. I like Vandalize as well. For all the reasons you just said, I think <laughs> having the, that that information plus that control, like if you're if you're worried about something coming, uh, I think it helps. And it's as well as it can give you the opportunity to just like something you don't want to go against. You have the chance of seeing it and getting rid of it. I think it, that proposition is just fantastic. And one of the things I love about Keyforge is getting the ability to do things like that. On a deeper competitive level as well, you're going to be looking at scenarios with Vandalize where when your opponent is very low on cards, let's say you know that he's down to like six or seven cards in his deck, it's going to give you better chance of knowing whether or not a card that you haven't seen that you know from their deck list is in their hand or in their deck potentially. So it's going to allow you to calculate odds a little bit better at that point, I think. Agreed. All right, for my last one, let's look at two creatures from House Sanctum, both new, both in the returning knights, love them to death. Start things off, we've got Baranon, who is a five power, two armor spirit knight. After a mutant creature enters play, enrage Baranon. So Baranon does not like mutants. Reap power, capture two. Let's compare that to Squire Alice. Straight up, two power, two armor. It's going to take four to take her off the board. Play capture two. Which would you rather have, Blake? Well, that's interesting. So I think I'm going to have to go with Baranon. Simply because of the repeated effect. Mm -hmm. And the fact that it's pretty sticky. So I think you should be able to... There's going to be some games when there is no mutants, I think. Mm -hmm. uh, or very few. And so I think that ability to recur it, plus the fact that it's going to take seven damage at once to kill it, and if not, you know, just keep doing the math, you're getting two down every time. So it's going to be a little stickier. I think it's going to be a very powerful card. So I got to go with Baranon just because of the staying power that it has. Mm -hmm. Baranon is super interesting to me because I think the idea of the after a mutant creature enters play enrage Baranon so that it can't reap, it has to fight means that captured Amber on Baranon is always kind of perilous if you do anything with Baranon. Um, but I think that ultimately I might go with the simpler choice here with Squire Alice, just because Capture 2 might be the difference between your opponent forging a key and requires no setup. You just play mm -hmm. it and it happens. Fair. Um, which I think is pretty useful, especially now that we're seeing so many key cost increases, uh, you know, Captured Amber being such a major part of the game, and then so many cards that can take advantage of Captured Amber. I like the idea of... You know, you don't have to worry about setting up for Squire Alice. You can just throw her down, and she's immediately providing the value of having that captured Amber. That's probably the direction I would go. No, I think that's a really sound logic. I didn't even think about, like, it's instantaneous. So, yeah, that's that's a good one. I do like that a lot. I think that's, that's great. And Squire Alice is a common, so I could see multiples of this being really potent. 
Man, I had such a good time playing Would You Rather with you, Blake. I'm so excited for us to get our very first decks in the set so we Mm -hmm. can really start to see what these decks are like in action. We're running long here, but we can't end an episode of Help from Future Self without the titular segment. This one's called Help Help from Future Self. Self. Blake, what's your lesson for us this week? I got a quick one. So um, if any of you tuned into my deck quest series, the first episode where I went on a quest with it. um, I did. You did. I did. Yeah, you you may know that there was a at the end of the game there was a bit of a uh, an egregious feeling that I was maybe not playing above board because I happened to get nine logos cards and I brigged my opponent for sixteen ember. Um, <laughs> they felt bad and they went on a rant and got really really like angry and started coming at me in a way that was um, I wouldn't say it was abusive but it was very negative, and so. I had a moment where in the video, you didn't see this, but I cut out 13 minutes of me typing and talking to the person. I felt that as someone who cares for the game, someone who felt this hard done by TCO needed to kind of get some perspective. So I, instead of just being like, whatever, dude, like you're a sore loser and signing off, I realized there was more to this than that. So I kind of spent time chatting with the person and offering to play again because they thought somehow I rigged it that I got nine logos cards when and the brig when meanwhile I archived the binate rupture part of brig so I had it when I needed to um and I just thought you know what I'm gonna instead of freaking out here I'm gonna stay calm and I'm gonna talk to my opponent and just you know stop them being in this state of anger and aggression and bring them back down to feeling calm and just not rising to the occasion when someone gets like that and spending the time to just have a normal conversation like no that's not the case and if you have an issue with it, these are some avenues you can reach out to to try and get yourself to maybe seek why this is happening and speak to the people. Like the the people at TCO are pretty open with the ability to report issues. So I just spent the time to talk to them and gone to a point where they were no longer being as aggressive and they kind of calmed down before we left the game because, I mean, getting brigged does feel bad. But mm-hmm. it was more than that. It was about that I played nine logos cards over two turns and I bricked. So just take the time sometimes to have some compassion towards your opponent because you don't know what's going on with someone and just fueling the fire is not always a good thing to do, especially where we're in a game where the community is still very much in the development state. And if you're someone who cares about this game, take the time to care for the people you're playing with. Now, if someone is getting abusive and, and calling you names or doing something like that, by all means, just leave don't entertain that but if someone is just feeling bad and becoming you know i guess butthurt about something take the time to help them not feel that way i think it's better for the game in general i love that lesson love this community and i love anything that we can do to try and maintain this community and the goodness that we see in it um we've both played in other games uh blake and i i mean and i think we've both seen how toxic that can become Um, oftentimes just based on people feeling like uh, they're hard done by. And uh, I think the Keyforge community has always been really wonderful at trying to reach across that divide. Uh, So just a a good lesson and one for us all to keep in mind. With that said, we got to get out of here. Find us on Twitter at HFFS Podcast. You can find me as Scuzzy Gruen on The Crucible and on Instagram and on Twitter. Where can they find you, Blake? You can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Boulevard Paper Fight. That's B-L-V-D Paper Fight. 
And uh, in the next day or so, the next episode of the deck quest will be going up as it is my Kota deck, the K-O-T-E tournament that's going on. I'm using uh, my Erland of Mergopolis for that. And uh, stay tuned soon. I will be starting a Twitch stream probably twice a week in the next uh, week or so. And I'm hoping uh, some of you will come have a chat with me there. Sounds like a plan. All right. We'll be back again next week on the eve of the release of Mass Mutation. Until then, stay fortunate.